Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to this week's episode. This week, I'm joined by Fred Langford, the Deputy CEO of the Internet Watch Foundation. And today's episode, we talk uh, quite in depth about who they are, what they do, and the kind of material that they have to deal with. Now, that means that the same caveat goes here as has been for um, the other two episodes. Please do take care of yourself. You may want to get somebody to vet this um, particular episode for you because we talk quite in depth um, about the material, about the impact, about some of the victims, about the lack of knowledge that exists around this topic. Um, You're you're going to find this really, really interesting if you know nothing about this subject matter. Um, This one is something that's very, very close to my heart, being a practitioner who's worked with um, a number of children and adolescents that this has happened to. And you'll see why I'm so concerned about this material, why I'm so concerned about grooming, and why, um, you know, that the invention of technology, whilst it has been fantastic, also has this darker side. Um, Fred is a, um, a fantastic uh, interviewee, and he um, he really, really did go go to the nth degree to give me his time. Um, so I'm I'm just really pleased that I got to interview him um, before he got his doctorate. So we uh, I don't think we mentioned that in terms of um, he was given an honorary doctorate for his services um, around this topic. Um, so please, yeah, share share this into uh, share this interview with people, but please don't do it to traumatise them. Um, this is about information sharing and increasing the knowledge that's out there. Um, I understand this topic matter. It's one of the reasons why I interviewed Fred, and you know, it's uncomfortable. Uh, please take care of yourselves, and you know, we're heading back towards kind of cybersecurity topics and some fantastic biohacking ones coming up. Um, so in time for Christmas, there should be some amazing episodes. Uh, take care of yourselves. See you next time. Um, I think I've said take care of yourselves quite a lot, and I really mean it. See you soon. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Fred Langford. He is the Deputy CEO of the IWF, uh, and you also work there as the Chief Technical Officer. Uh, and you are now the President of uh, InHope. And I think second time you've done this, isn't it, Fred? The, the... That's correct. Right. Yes. So for for listeners um, who found last week's uh, conversation quite interesting, or last, last session, should I say, um, I've brought Fred on because um, we're going to talk IWF and, and potentially in hope in terms of what it is that these companies and organisations do and why it's such an important conversation. So first of all, thank you for coming on, Fred. Um, so what yeah why do you do what you do in terms of working for these companies what what drew you into working in this domain well um well i started out actually um getting into technology when i worked for the ministry of defense in the uk but i was contracted to the american air force and this is going back many years before the world wide web Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i was offered training on something called the internet as it was then, and uh, and I was in the right place at the right time, and just got absolutely hooked with um, how how you could move data around at that point in um, within a military system, as it was. And, uh, but then I carried on with uh, with a technical leading, um, working for Tier One ISPs um, in the UK, um, and and then I, I joined the IWF to do something. I wanted to do something that um, I felt added value to society. 
So um, it's nice working for uh, big companies, for um, shareholders, for the profits, but I wanted to do something that I felt was going to have an output. And I, I never thought I'd be at the IWF for as long as I have been, I've been there 15 years nearly. And it was, uh, it was intended to be a year, maybe two, but absolutely uh, mm-hmm. uh, hooked them doing the right thing. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> as, I, as I said to you just off, uh, off camera before we started recording, um, I, I spend a lot of pe- to, uh, spend a lot of time teaching and working with people and telling them about the I do, uh, IWF. So mm-hmm. would you like to succinctly, maybe not succinctly, tell us about who the IWF are, what it is that they do, um, and why it's probably one of the most important companies that is in existence today, particularly for um, uh, the advocacy of children? Absolutely. So the IWF is... Um... It's a place for people, doesn't matter who they are, they could be members of the public, police, industry, doesn't matter, to report suspected child sexual abuse material. So uh, we have a website and it enables people just to be able to copy the web address from where they where they saw something that they think is child sexual abuse material. We have the experts, we wouldn't expect them to know in detail. Mm-hmm. And then they can just put it into a reporting um, form on our website and it comes through to the IWF to be able to assess according to UK law, trace the location and then aim to get that material removed at source. So that's everything that the IWF aims to do is quickly identify and get content removed at source from the internet. Yeah, and that includes, you know, being able to have conversations and have websites uh, te- not not taken down because that almost sounds like you <laughs> you are you are the law. But actually, it's a conversation where um, I believe you can speak with companies and say, okay, this this now needs uh, removing because on on your site. And I want I wonder actually if certain sites do know that they have this material uh, visible. So. I think some sites do, um, yeah. they, there's not many of them. There are some sites that are absolutely dedicated to um, selling child sexual abuse materials, so commercial sites, commercial mm-hmm. entities. Um, so I think, as with the internet, you get the full gamut of, um, of different uses. And so some people would just have their services abused um, by accident. So it might be um, somebody's accidentally posted something there and they didn't mean to. Some will be systematically abused, whereby the person has hacked into that site and they are um, posting images because they feel like it's the best place to store them. And you've got everything in between, right? And then further on, right to these commercial guys. So the majority of the sites, once notified, do remove content. It's just making making sure that that's really quick and and easy to do, I think, for for all the things like the IWF and other hotlines is key. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, let's have a, a little bit of a conversation. Um, actually, I might, I might include here the, the Marie Collins Foundation because you are, you are a trustee over there and, and their remit is to work with children who have been um, sexually abused online. Um, but this is about why we need to take it down so quickly, isn't it? Is, is, uh, just for a minute, if we can do this without terrifying people who are listening and, and watching, yeah. why, why this material needs to be removed as quickly as possible. Well, I mean, it's, it's about protecting the victims. So, so if you think of every picture, we talk about it, it's a crime scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they've been a victim of crime, and then somebody has taken a picture of that, that crime scene and then posted it for, for, for all to see. And every time that, that, that that happens, just the thought of knowing that those images are out there for somebody who's been a victim of child sexual abuse is like, like living through the abuse over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And the problem being that as, as it's left up for, for longer periods of time, it, it, uh, it becomes 
becomes spread more easily because um, then other people start copying it, posting it on other sites, and then and then the impact on the victim of, of um, suspicion is that person walking past me in the street? Did they see my picture? Mm -hmm. You know, this person who's serving me in a shop? Are they looking at pictures of me? Do they know who I am? And you you um, you never you're never released from the abuse. I suppose is what it is. It's it's um, if you use the, the comparison to somebody who's been mugged, terrible thing to happen. The mugging happens, um, probably not being filmed, it's done. Yes, you have to get over it with this. It's um, the, uh, the abuse lives in perpetuity online. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just going to use, um, so I have a, um, a theory called cyber trauma and I talk about it not having an expiry date. Mm. And that's exactly, it's exactly how um, the young people, I mean, I work with um, adults as well who have uh, um, had their images shared online, which is often mm. called revenge porn. Um, but quite often it's not always about pornography. Um, there is something about, it is that feeling of, um, yeah, uh, never ending perpetuation again on the internet. And, and it's the idea of uh, the reoccurring trauma is something that I don't think my profession understands at the moment in terms yeah. of we're, we're pretty much trained around trauma. And one of the things I keep saying to people is, yeah, but all of the theories relate to a one-time event that when it has happened is literally in your memory. This mm. stuff is online and it's permanent and it's a very, very different, pernicious, you know, uh, long-lasting, reoccurring. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, our team of analysts see um, it's terrible, but we, we've seen um, over the years we've been operating victims from a very young age um, right through yeah. to when they reach adulthood and then they uh, we've seen them on adult sites as, as adult performers later on in life yeah as well. so um, um so so you can see how it potentially affects people um, mm -hmm. steam and their opportunities in future life how they their self-worth um and and so the, the, the quicker we can get the content removed is is absolutely uh, paramount for, for assisting um, in, in hopefully reducing those levels of anxiety and fear that they, they must have. Yeah, yeah. And at, at this point in time, I think it's it's about people having the understanding that they can report it and knowing where to report it. So that that's my remit for kind of bringing you on, as I said right at the beginning, is this is about having a discussion about um, increasing the knowledge about people can report something, even if they're not quite sure. Um, so I think I was reading a report the other day, which was in the New York Times about the number of um, yes, uh, yeah. number of images. I think John Carr shared it and then I went off and, and kind of read it. I think what I'm finding interesting is the platforms that are now beginning to do this in terms of the online harms white paper that's come out. Yeah. And I do think that actually whilst it's, it's a worldwide issue that we need to take take into account there is a huge demand here if you like on, on responsibility on social media companies doing this on behalf of material that could be and I think that's that's where we need to be isn't it on the hashtag of might could be uh, yeah. rather than definitely is because yes. I'm not sure we've got the te technical ability in terms of AI and so on but I, I am going to ask you about how how do you do that at the IWF um, I mean, as far as um, the assessment levels, we're, we're fairly um, restricted because we, uh, we don't have any statutory um, sort of guidance uh, as far as we, we don't have any statutory rights, we're not named in the statute books, so everything is voluntary with the item. And actually what we are doing is um, we, we assess the material according to um, certain laws, but in particular, um, as far as how do we categorise the level of material to be able to 
talk about the different levels of, of material is the Sensitive Guidelines Council, which uh, um, which provide the categories A, B, and C. So that's that's what our analysts are applying to the image that uh, images that are reported to us. So so we categorise with A being uh, being the worst uh, category. So an example would be. I know uh, we have to prioritize in some sort of way the work we can do. So if something's in category A and it's on a high traffic site, obviously we would, we would concentrate on trying to remove that because of the sort of exposure that would get. Um, but in the meantime, what we do is we use all sorts of technology. So we have a suite of crawlers, so, um, which means that we can point our crawlers at um, suspect sites, which enables um, automation of Yes, these ones are definitely illegal because they're the image match, um, with the hash matching, mm -hmm. and so the image match. And then what we also do is we, we take in the images around it and we run those through the classifier to see the likelihood that that's going to contain child sexual abuse material. Um, so they're, they're just a couple of things. We use third-party tools. I prefer not to say which ones in particular because yep. I don't want to sort of publish the, the techniques we use. Um, but some of these tools we have repurposed. So originally they were built for one thing. We've repurposed them to, in, in partnership with these companies, to, to be able to utilize it to help us find where this content is. Mm -hmm. but, like, but like I said earlier, it's, it's, uh, it seems to be all pervasive. So it's, uh, yes, um, social media companies um, have got a lot of work to do. I think that um, particularly, um, so I know that Facebook gets quite a, bad rap and I know John Carl recently wrote his blog that actually they're doing a good job and I think when it comes to images Facebook do do a very good job actually. Facebook have got many other things that they're dealing with but when it comes to child sexual abuse imagery I think they do a very good job and I do think that they're they're actually quite focused and I'd like everybody to you know to be able to step up and say we're going to do exactly the same we're going to implement all of the IWF services and other other data sets and and scan them around but it's um and, and this is something the online harms white paper is hoping to address, which is nobody really has a, has a good picture of what everybody's doing. And um, people that have joined, organizations that have joined the IWF, I try not to point the, point the finger at them because actually they've joined. They've, they've said, yes, we're gonna do something. Now there's various levels of help, um, but there are tens of thousands, millions of other companies out there in the globe that have not even stepped up, that we're still waiting for them to say, Yes, let's be part of the solution. Let's take data sets. And at the moment, I feel like that they're, they're hiding behind the criticism that those that have stepped up to do something uh, are receiving to, to try and hope that they don't have to do anything. I think that's all going to change. And I think I'm seeing this now from, from my role as InHope. I talk to a lot of governments and, and regulators around the world. And there is a definite shift to actually, yes, we need to do something that, that, that this this sort of material and, and broader, um, depending on where you are in the globe, broader, broader data sets as well, need to be checked. There need to be some sort of rules and requirements in place. And it also helps industry. They want to know what's expected of them. So they, they don't want to wake up in the morning and have a daily mail story saying, do more. When you know, they're saying, please tell us what you mean by more and we'll do it. And then I think so actually it's got to that, that, that past that point in a time when both sides need to say, well, we want you to do this. And then industry is saying, great, we know what you want, to, want us to do. And then hopefully that will get together. But unfortunately, it's going to take a little bit of time. But at least that path has um, started to be laid out in front of everybody so we can all see what, uh, what we need to do. 
Yeah, and I think conversations have started. So it, for me, there was something about, um, I've been aware of the IWF for a number of years. And, and, and as I was saying, it's only just becoming something that every time I do a presentation, there is a conversation about, and this is how we can help protect children. This is where you can go. This is what this yeah. is. And, and I spend, you know, an inordinate amount of time looking at um, lots of pieces of research that you've done, um, you know, staying up to date. Yeah. I actually had somebody who, who was very technical, actually, in, in terms of the, the psychotherapy world, said, how do you know all this, Kath? And I said, I literally spend my, in the, the gaps in between clients, when I'm walking around, reading, you know, reading up-to-date research, staying yeah. online with, uh, um, you know, whilst Twitter is quite a toxic place, actually, there is a lot of research that does get shared there. Yes. Um, so it's, it's about literally spending my time in that environment, trying to learn about it. Um, and, you know, I do think that I, in terms of human beings, I don't think we understood the, the yeah, I don't think we understood how rife this particular issue was until organizations like yourself started to collect data, started to do a bit of research. Yeah. Um, and then we've also got the conversations that are now happening with the e-safety companies. And again, I think one of the difficulties is, is the e-safety world tends to be in one domain. Yourself is in another, you know, mm -hmm. psychotherapy, teachers, police are all in another. And it's all about getting everybody together. And I think that's beginning to happen. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right there. So I've been describing... You know, it's a societal issue. We've seen mm -hmm. you research about the, the numbers of men, predominantly men, um, accessing content, which is um, or producing child sex abuse material, which is predominantly on girls. Um, and and I think because it's a very uh, it's an unpalatable subject to want to talk about. It's, it's an easy subject to say, lock them up, throw away the key, um, and to, to the offenders. But actually, we need to try and work out what all the motivations are behind that offending because the view that we take with the IWF as well is um, if you can stop one person offending or you can um, intervene with one person offending in the first place you're potentially saving hundreds of victims of having to go through the pain mm -hmm. uh, so so yes like I say I've, I've, I've quoted the IWF in the past I've called us the, the sort of the um, the bin men of the internet you know we're sort of cleaning up the mess that's already taken place yeah. And um, so, so in that respect, we felt like we weren't necessarily protecting children. We were clean. We were protecting them from re-victimisation. We actually wanted to be able to protect them from from the abuse in the first place. So, um, so we're going to carry on with what we do. But equally, we're starting to look at more about the prevention side of things. How can we prevent these these people or people with this questionable behaviour from being able to access, um, you know, the the children that they're obviously after? Because um, it's, it's an interesting, it leads me into a sort of a, a discussion I, I had at, at my local school where somebody was worried about their children playing out on the street. And I don't think there's a huge amount of evidence to say that uh, stranger danger has drastically increased over uh, the previous period as, as far as child abduction on the streets. And the answer these days seems to be, well, keep the children inside and safe and online. And uh, well, actually, I think probably on the balance of play these days, you're safer playing out in the streets than you are actually being alone in your bedroom online. Um, absolutely. And actually, I think over years, the number, the number of um, e-safety sexual abuse online talks that begin with um, Green Cross Code. So yeah. what I have noticed is that's become quite the, quite the narrative about if we talk about the Green Cross Code, mm. then we can all apply this to the internet space and... I don't necessarily agree. I think hmm. better metaphor is the nightclub. 
that we wouldn't yeah. allow our children into nightclub at 18, but actually we allow them into an, a plus 18 world by mm. going online without consideration of the very, that it is a plus 18 world. Yeah. You know, and that's where I see Sonniston doing her work about the, the right of the child as well, in terms, I think the, the figures, uh, which I might have quoted a number of times, uh, but it, it is a third of internet users are children. Yes. And and this is one of the things to be aware of, is it's not just about, for me, it's not just about the adults accessing this information, it's children also seeing um, the, this imagery. So I was talking to a colleague this morning, actually, about the the um, the nature of the, the pornography industry, but also the nature of how it's very easy to veer off for young people to find mm. themselves looking at this kind of material. And what that actually does to a developing brain, a developing child and so on. And that's that's kind of my remit. And this is why I think I'm so keen to get this conversation to parents is not only could you stumble across this material, there's also your children can stumble across yeah. this material. So for me, there's victims at the level of the child who's been abused. There's mm -hmm. also the victims who um, view this material as well. So not ones who actively seek it. Yeah. And I think you're right there. And, uh, and there is obviously the, the increased risk is, like you say, of, of, of younger people starting to view illegal material, that they start um, developing an interest with something that may not have taken place yeah. in the first place. And then the problem being that once somebody's got that interest, you're, you're effectively managing it um, throughout the rest of your life because uh, through various periods, um, um, so, so that's that's not a place that I, I think is a nice place to want to live in the future, personally. Yeah. Um, it would be nice to be able to, like you say, protect and protect kids, and potentially all these points are all about just making it more difficult for people to either view the content if that's straight out or to develop an interest. Now, that's the idea, is um, because you know, I'm a realist as well. We know there are always going to be some people who are going to try and bypass all sorts of checks and balances and everything in place to carry out their crimes. So I, I think this is where we talk about the, the sort of 80-20 rule. Whereas yeah. if you can make an impact on the 80%, I know it's not 100% and it's not perfect, but it's, it's good, it's worth, it's worth making an effort to, to be able to reduce it. And that's, that's really where we, we come in. We're realists, we'd love to see an internet with none of this taking place, but actually the idea is to reduce it and, uh, and, and part of that is, is talking about it societally as well and saying, why are so many men interested in seeking this content out? What, what, mm -hmm. what, what's going on here in society that makes people want to do this? Is it something that was always there and it's just been facilitated by the internet, which a lot of people think is the case? Or was it actually that, that um, something in society is, is, is you know, not not purposefully, but is um, is sort of pushing people into this, and they feel somehow powerful there, um, whereas they don't necessarily feel like they've got any power elsewhere. I don't have the answer. That's what you guys are here for, mm -hmm. uh, but we try and implement your findings when with the work we do. I, I was going to say, and that's where I feel that there's a scrabble in terms of research at the moment. That you know, there's there's lots lots of us. Um, my my research isn't necessarily focused on on this particular. I mean, it's encompassed in it, but yeah. I know that there's there are people trying to get this research done and fast because we just don't have those answers at the moment. So no. the next question might be very difficult to uh, answer. I I think I posed it to John and said, so what what do you think the solution for this is, or how do you think we can create this this conversation um because you and i um see this 
as, as on a daily basis in terms of what we do. Um, so how, yeah, how do we bring this to the parents? How do we bring this to the teachers? Um, and how, how do you think we can kind of get the 80-20 resolution? Yeah, a very, very tricky question. So, I mean, I, the Lucy Faithful Foundation, I don't know if you know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They do some fantastic work. And, uh, and the problem being, when I say it's a societal issue, sometimes people need to step up equally. Um, you know, the funding for this sort of thing across the board is not fantastic overall. I think the IWF uh, are doing okay when it comes to hotlines, but um, the majority of the hotlines around the globe don't get any money. And people like Lucy Faithful, who are working on the Stop It Now program, I think, uh, uh, you know, they could always do with more resource and they could do okay. so more. So I think for, the reason I mentioned them is because you can we can try and drive people with an interest towards their counsellors and, and the work that they're doing. To try and raise it on a, on a sort of a, a national level, I do think that it's one of those things, like I say, because it is such a societal issue and it's so reactionary in the newspapers, um, but actually a national campaign um, is something that we've been calling for at the IWF, which is in, in a similar way to, to sort of talk about the there's different things you could do, but talk about the consequences of your actions. You know, just because you're sitting behind a computer screen doesn't mean that that's not a person at the other end. Try and personalise it because I think, and we've seen this with the sort of trolling that's taking place as well and some of the, uh, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the sort of revenge porn. People don't seem to, don't seem to understand that, that there is an impact on the person at the other end. They seem to lose yeah. their inhibitions when they're, when they're sitting behind a screen. And I think that's the message for me that really needs to be got across, which is, yes, you might be sitting behind the screen, um, but actually you're still a human. There are still humans you're dealing with at the other end. There's just a degree of separation. Um, and, you know, people seem to, the, the messages at the moment seem to be about very much protect yourself from fraud, protect yourself from this, protect yourself from that. So it's a very cyber security focused thing. Not actually, yes, you could protect yourself, but you could still be doing huge amounts of damage to other people by your comments, your actions, your you know, what are you accessing? Why are you going there? Yeah, yeah. So um, hopefully I will get to talk to um, Lucy Faithful on here, um, particularly about the Stop It Now. So um, just for people who are interested, I will put a link down in case anybody is listening to this for a particular reason. I'm just thinking about um, for those who listen on um, the audio. So what's really interesting is when I've looked at these stats on my podcast, uh, the most downloaded audio ones are all to do with pornography which is right. really interesting about human beings, isn't it? Because on YouTube, you can see the history. Whereas if you're listening to a podcast on iTunes, it doesn't show that you've particularly listened to these episodes if you delete them off. Um, so there might be people listening to this episode for education. There might be people listening to it for, you know, how can I prevent myself? How can I stop this? Um, which is the Lucy Faithful. So they have a, a system where I believe people, if they are actively searching for this material, will see a pop-up saying, would you like to talk to somebody? Absolutely. Um, and, and kind of pointing them in the direction before they enter into criminal activity. Um, and I, I was going to say something a minute ago about, yeah, so John Sula's work. So there is, the, there is this theory about the online disinhibition effect, which mm -hmm. is why we engage in behaviour online as we do. Um, I've got a slightly more... Um, psychobiological reason as to why people do what they do but I think it's this conversation so I'm totally in agreement with you here but I, I'm, I'm also wondering about um, this morning I read on a because I'm quite into GDPR I teach about GDPR as well yeah. um, but this morning I was reading something around EPR 
and in the EPR directive that's coming out, the words child pornography are still used. And I think if we could change the lexicon on this to say it's not child pornography, this is child sexual abuse. Yes. You know. Absolutely. I mean, and this is something that um, you know the IWF have been advocating for a long, long time. So does Inhope, and it's and it's something yeah. we've raised consistently at all of our meetings that um, pornography. Um, consumed by adults um, that's legal is there's there's nothing to be ashamed of about that there's nothing wrong with that um, assuming that all the checks and balances are in place like you say to protect vulnerable people this is not pornography you know this like I said earlier this is a crime scene this is, mm -hmm. this is sexual abuse material and, and I think that the the legal definitions and and, um, and the documentation parliamentary documentation you're absolutely right is has been built on this child pornography phrase, phrasing. Um, and so rather than just saying, well, actually, we're not going to refer to it as, as child pornography, it's going to be child sexual abuse material. And that also helps, like you say, with um, raising raising the the, 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 um, the sort of gravity of what's, what this, uh, this is. Mm -hmm. you know, because um, I think a lot of people think that the IWF are just taking down pictures of, I say just, but we should be doing this as well, we are. Of, of sort of you know borderline um, the right age somebody's out and, and they've they've lifted their top or something like this but this is not what we're talking about we're talking about serious sexual abuse yes yes um, or, or right down to toddlers and 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 babies I, I so yeah. yeah absolutely and and that's not uh, the the sort of thing that I always use the analogy that sort of pub talk you know somebody might be in a pub and make a joke about someone being a little bit young you know. Actually, well, that's questionable, and that's the sort of behaviour we should be challenging. But actually, when they're making those jokes, what they're not understanding is just how um, terrible this is and, and how far it goes down the age mm -hmm. range, the abuse levels. I mean, the, the abuse levels are getting worse, the ages are getting younger. Yes, and, and the, the, I mean, I don't want to kind of... You, um, so what I'm going to talk about here is the ACES study. So we talk about... Um, so quite often I will get a phone call, Kath, I've got a child, they've got an ACES score of four. And for me, there's something about this adverse childhood experiences. Not everything is equal, even though it kind of comes on this this um, spectrum of. So they've got all these different things that have happened. Um, mm. We are, and I, I quite liked it. So you used the word earlier about unpalatable. I actually talk about um, how we came up with the phrase CSE to make child sexual abuse more palatable to talk about. Yeah. I th I think in agreement with what you're discussing here. And I'm going to veer off to the, um, a piece of research that you did, actually, to kind of talk about it. This is about child sexual abuse. This is about babies, infants, toddlers, yep. all the way through to people who are 17 years and X number of months. Yep. But if you look at the, the material from my world in terms of neuroscience and development, actually, a child goes all the way up to 25. Yep. So technically, you're looking at 25 and under, is, is a period in which children can be abused and that is the long-lasting, you know, to call my phrase, cyber trauma. That is, the, that is the issue for the rest of their life. And they may have 75 years plus yeah. in terms of having to live with this on a daily basis. And, I, you know, regardless of whether this is uncomfortable or not, this is what I think we need to do as a society is have the conversations about next time you're looking at your grandchild or your you know, your friends, I don't know, your nephew or whatever. Actually, that is the age at which this is being done unto children. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and not to shy away from it as well, because like, like, mm -hmm. like, it's, and like I've said, it's, uh, 
it's a difficult thing for people to talk about. And I know that from my, my professional yeah. position. If, I, if I'm talking to uh, people in a sort of a social setting and I explain what I do, you can see the fear on people's face. Oh God, I don't want to talk about this. What am I going to do? Um, but but after you know after a conversation with them, I, I, I get them to to open up and say, well, what what are you worried about? Why are you worried about talking about this? And, and it's just because it's uh, it's something that people don't want to, um, to comprehend is taking place. So they try and mm-hmm. they try and back away from it um, in in the way that you know we've had all of this with uh, different parties uh, around all sorts of things like the, the climate change denial and these sorts of things. Yeah. People don't think about it because it. It feels like a problem that's too too large to, to, to be able to sort out. Well, it will be until we all sit down and work out what needs to be done, like you say, through the full value chain, right from you know stopping somebody from abusing in the first place to making sure that if somebody is abused, that they've got the full support in place to integrate them fully back into society and that continued support throughout life, like you say, not just you know a few sessions and expecting you to get over it. It does carry on and carry on. And I think those sorts of things, that acceptance, then makes it a lot easier to try and um, build those systems around it because people understand actually the, the, the size of what needs to be sorted out. So um, they won't just say the government wouldn't just fund two sessions with, a, with your GP. They would say, okay, we are going to fund for supports and counselling, these sorts of things. But I think until the evidence base is there to support that, we're seeing anecdotally, obviously, all the world that we work in, but we need to get that message out for everybody to talk about. Oh, oh! I wish I could give you the evidence base for that one right yeah. now. I mean, that's that's part of <laughs> part of what I'm doing. But I can yeah. tell you, just based on a clip here, um, a, a sentence that I use with everybody is: um, adults take approximately two years to move from an insecure attachment style to secure, and when it comes to trauma, you're looking at maybe that length of time or more. And it's interesting how, you know, I might get four sessions to work with a child who's been groomed online and I just think it's not going to happen. (laughs) So aside from that, the the research that I wanted to kind of come back to was, um, I think it was the end of last year, you did a quick piece of research where you literally monitored um, a number of images coming through. And one one of the stats that came back from that piece of research, if I remember off the top of my head, was that there was about 70 or 80% of the images were of children 13 and under as, you know, the best classification that you can do. Mm. Um, and we, we have this phrase, don't we? It's now youth-produced imagery, which yeah. used to be um, one of my favourite conversations with a young child was I talked about, well, that's called an indecent image of, uh, you know, IIOC. Mm. And uh, the young client turned around and said, no, Kath, that's actually quite a decent image. And I, yeah. I, I laughed and said, actually, this is the problem with adults describing what's going on Um, we need to find language that that works for both adults and children um and i think the latest one we're up to is youth produced imagery isn't it yeah Um, the the luxembourg guidelines set out all the 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 sort of expected terminology i think i think youth produced i'm not sure if that's in off the top of my head i would have to check but um i think it was so in the iwf we've talked about self-generated in the past um but it's um there's there's connotations there that somehow that they were um, you know putting putting themselves out there but what we're trying to say is no 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 we we think they're coerced groomed we don't Absolutely. know we yeah. can see is the output of the IWF we don't have the full backstory um, of how how that that child was groomed or coerced into doing that and uh, and as you will know from from counseling uh, children that 
it starts off with one and then the message soon spreads and then they end up having multiple, potentially multiple abusers um, and, and sharing out those content, yeah. contact details which um, perpetuates the abuse that they're suffering. Absolutely. Um, and it, it, I, I just wondered, um, you know, wh where are we at in terms of uh, the number of images that are kind of contained within that? You know, has social media, and this is quite speculative, I'm, I'm fully yeah. aware of what I'm asking you here. Yeah. Um, so has, has social media increased the number of images that younger children are producing? So I'm talking here 15 and under, maybe. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say that it's... Um, <clears throat> social media um i think what social media does is is the aim i don't think it's any secret the whole idea of social media is to connect people faster mm -hmm. uh, allow everybody to always be online um and it's, it's um what it has done though is because of a degree of anonymity um that, that afforded so it has enabled pedophiles to be able to or people with a sexual interest in children um to be able to sort of share their experiences without um Fear of being caught as, as much. So, so if somebody finds out that there's there's two offenders talking online, okay, well we can remove the content, and depending on how they were discussing it, depends on whether or not it's further it's investigated further by the police. Now, if those conversations were have taken place in a corner shop, or you know, in uh, in another shop, or out on the street, and somebody had overheard it, that would have that would have been addressed at the time. So pre-internet, yeah. that would have been addressed probably in ways that we don't want to discuss about how it would have been addressed. Um, the response probably would have been very swift and harsh, I can imagine. Um, yeah. But that, that that's gone online. So so there is this level of um, sort of sense of security. I'm really not going to get arrested. I'm, I'm not going to get picked up for this sort of thing. So I can carry on. But as far as where where is it um, perpetuating, it seems to be pretty much like I say anywhere that you can communicate with children. Yeah. Yep. So, social media be that um by any sort of games console or where there's a chat function anywhere there's a chat function that's that's where they're aiming to get in touch with children then what they try to do is to move them onto other platforms that's where there's quite a problem so if you move somebody from you know from a a, a chat forum on a game and then you get them onto a, um, some sort of messenger or or another app i'm not going to pick just on messenger it's in the news at the moment as well mentioned it you know, and then you move on to another app, and then potentially you get, you know, you've got that person's mobile phone, then it's SMS, which is completely separate to internet technology as well. And then once you start getting face-to-face -face meetings, that's, uh, I mean, so, you, and we see this with the discussions that take place on, on, the, on the, the sorts of forums online that pedophiles use. They give each other tips and tricks about who to target, um, you know, how long to wait, what sort of things to do, and then, and they are systematic, a lot of them, about how they do it as well. They you know they keep spreadsheets, they keep detailed records of all their image yeah. collections um, and in, in the way that they hoard and collect, like a stamp collector would, would collect. Uh, absolutely. And I think that's, um, I'm really, really glad, actually, you've used that analogy because that really helps um, in terms of, so when I explain it to people, I say, actually, they're businessmen. Um, yeah. so that, that analogy that you've used there is really, really helpful. Um, I'm thinking for the listeners here, they're probably going to get a real understanding of just how quickly, um, you know, just how quickly this escalates, but also how and why. And, and to think, I mean, this, it, when I first came across this, uh, this industry, I kind of looked and went, my word, it's far more organized than I ever suspected. Oh, yes, yeah. um, and it's, it's almost like what used to be, um, a secret like you were talking about the pub the conversation that might happen between one or two people in the pub that was done very quietly actually there, there's now forums where you can go and literally get advice on how to do this 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and this is this is the part of the escalation we've particularly seen in the IWF is is not just about how you can find current victims, but there, there's a shift amongst certain paedophilic communities to yeah. to identify the victim in adult life. So uh, they will then find an image of somebody and say, "Let's find this person in adult life." And, and I mean, they will they will find them, they will message them, they will send them pictures of their abuse. And now there's that's not a, that's not a sexual thing. That's a power thing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so so you can see when I say about sexual interest in children, it's it's not just that on on some people. It, it is about control and power and, and uh, mm-hmm. feeling like that 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 somehow that they've got control over that person. Now they they you know they could use sex as part of that, but they also use fear um, and and all sorts of um, blackmail techniques. Yeah. to get more information. So we're seeing this problem escalating and, and there are actually, there's a, there's a, a small number of um, sort of communities that are dedicated to this at the moment, finding old victims and yeah. then effectively um, reintroducing them to all the abuse that they may have tried to, tried to blot out themselves. Yeah, I, I recently had a conversation with an adult who this had happened to um, in terms of something that, now it didn't turn out to be pictures of the abuse, it was a hint at the abuse. And, right. and one, of the, one of the issues for this uh, adult was it could have been. And, yeah. and as it is, it's, it's almost like, um, so I think in my first book I talked about this, the, the, uh, the online vigilantism. Actually, you, you could probably send that message to 10 people and out of those 10 people according to statistics that we currently understand mm. you you're going to find one of those people who probably reacts and goes <gasps> of course i'll pay up because that's actually something that did happen to me and you might just be taking a guess um so i think again the 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 evolution of this issue is becoming more and more and more about you know potential issues in the further uh, yeah. in in the future and so on so yeah. I, I think this is why I'm, I really am so keen and I would love to just sit down and have a conversation with all psychotherapists and say, okay, this is what you need to be keeping your eyes out for because the adult who walks into your therapy room might well be experiencing the, the sexual abuse for the counselling, but mm. actually you've got to consider now, um, you know, if you think about all adults that will be 18, they've been in the world of online, you know, high-speed internet since... Uh, over, yes. over 18 years ago. So they're, they're going to be the adults who might be experiencing both the real life, so this is what I call corporeal, and the yeah. virtual. And they go together, and the corporeal can be reenacted every single time something virtual comes back into the inbox, or, yeah. you know, if the perpetrator, for example, gets out of prison, you know, is sentenced, is out of prison, yeah. knows the name of that child, and then will actively go and look for them. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a terrible situation. You're absolutely right. I mean, the more we can uh, we can um, raise profile, and in fact, I, I read uh, a news article yesterday coming from the Independent uh, Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse that, that they're talking about lots of victims are saying that even when they did raise it, that there was no reporting in the physical world, and so then we start getting into the conversation around. Uh, I mean, in, the, in, the, in this article, they were considering mandatory reporting. That was something they were calling for mandatory reporting of child sexual abuse. I'm, I'm talking about offline here at the moment. Mm-hmm. You can see that, you know, offline and online are one and the same yes. um, in, in modern society. So actually, until until there's an acceptance that 
You can't brush it under the carpet. You, you know, you really have got to do something about this, and you are going to be liable if you don't even report it. I think that's a good that's a good stage to get to because mm-hmm. I know it, it might be difficult to certain victims because they feel like oh these these images are going to continually come up or this this abuse is going to continually be raised with me. But um, but I think depending on how it's handled, and this is why I always um, even when uh, when a trustee at Marie Collins, it was about you know, this is this is the fallout and um, of what's taken place, and and actually these are the people we really need to support and and talk to them and see what actually makes you feel like something's being done. And I think you're right when you were saying that there's there's lots of assumptions around that you know if we do X, Y, or Z, it'll make the victims feel better. But actually, when you talk to the victims, because sometimes um, depending on how well the victims have been counselled, they might say that's not an indecent image. It might be part of the series, but they say, well, I'm quite happy with that there. I I look good in that picture. I'm fully clothed and it was taken by somebody in a semi-professional manner. It's all the bit afterwards I've done. Whereas other people will say, I don't want anything. Um, So it's, it's, um, but you need to talk to the victims to understand really what, um, what they, try and work out collectively what, what helps them. And then um, we will try and get some way to develop technical solutions that that, um, assist with that. Yeah, absolutely. I've just had another what they call um, fizz buzz. So there's something I know I'm probably going to go write and blog on uh, some part of our conversation here because um, we're coming towards, coming towards the end of the time. Um, but I, I also think about the clients who sit in my therapy room. And one of the things that I, I do know from research and sitting in therapy <clears throat> is when a child is abused, what it does do is it makes them almost, and I'm going to use a metaphor here, they're almost susceptible to more abuse for the rest of their life because they yeah. they have, and it's, it's to do with how they cope in terms of the nervous system, but quite often I will be talking to children who were abused as, as very young children, and it also happens to them again in teenage years, and then it happens to them again in their 20s where they might mm. be in an abusive relationship and um, find, find themselves being abused again. And one of the things is, is because they become... Uh, like disconnected and disassociated from the abuse it almost sends out a message to other people that this is a vulnerable susceptible person and and that for me is quite frightening as well in terms of where where we're at in this country particularly at the moment about becoming trauma-informed which I know is a buzzword Um, and it's it's more than trauma-informed it's it's actually about trauma applied and how how we can become a nation that understands this is why we've got to get these images off the internet because it makes children more susceptible for the rest of their life yeah and, and you're right it's a long-term solution because we don't want to just short-termism it's uh it's a you know the IWF do take that view and so so do the in-hope hotlines that actually yeah we're we're, we're aiming to reduce this because we want long-term um to to affect an impact um of, of protecting whereas if you think of it just as a short-term fix well, like we've discussed, the victims will carry on living with this and then there's potential they become victims in other ways later on in life. Yeah. Okay, so before we finish then, Fred, is there anything you want people to know in terms of, you know, is there anything I've missed in terms of, I'm not, there's lots I could have asked you, we could have talked about DOH, but actually we didn't get a chance to, we, <laughs> we did say there was a lot to be talked about here. Um, yeah, is there anything you would like people to know uh, in terms of what would you like in the show notes? I'll put all about um, in hope 
RWF. I'll yeah. also put in probably um, things to do with the e-safety, so uh, UKIS um, and, and lots of other organisations again, um, so that people can go and learn a little bit more about this. Yeah. Um, is there anything you'd like to say or, or would like before we finish? Well, I, I think what I would just say from a very you know, hotline focused um, position, which is please don't ignore this content. Even if yeah. you're suspicious, don't think, oh, well, I won't bother the IWF. Just send it in, please. And, uh, and we can make that assessment. We've got a highly trained team of analysts here. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and if, if we're not receiving this sort of information from suspected um, sites from members of the public as well. And particularly, we focus on 18 to 24 as we're talking about that age range at the moment. They're most likely to stumble across this material and not report it. Really, please do report it to the IWF or any of the other hotlines. There's no limit on where you are geographically. If you don't want to send it to the IWF, report it to A and other, France, Norway, Italy. It doesn't matter. Just, just report it somewhere. Yeah. We, need to, we need to get it in, in the system. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, which brings me to um, Marie Collins did a uh, video with Lab Bible, didn't they? Which I yeah. do see popping up. I do see it popping up all over. That could do with being literally on television every twenty minutes. You know, into not that anybody watches twenty yeah. television anymore under the age of twenty. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, just to add to that, Lucy Faithful um, do a, do a great video as well. It's called The Knock. Um, I don't think that's out there enough at the moment, and it's. Uh, and it's, a, it's on a similar line of the, um, there are consequences to not driving with, with driving without a seatbelt on. And what they're trying to do is get across, there are consequences to viewing this content to you, the offender, you know, instead of focusing on the victim. It's, it's you, um, because ultimately that's what people fear is what's going to happen to them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so make it, yeah, that's generally what I would say. Point the, fing point the finger out, with, out of the screen and you'll find people yeah. might start to make a bit of a, a different decision, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Fred, and I'll probably ask you to come back and do another one anyway. Right. <laughs> I think there's yeah. much, much more to be discussed here anyway. This podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh an audio enthusiast and music producer.